Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield, thy reward shall be exceeding great. Now, after these things was after Abraham had rescued Lot from the kings who fought against Sodom. And then King Sodom tried to reward Abraham by giving him all the spoils of war that Abraham collected. But instead of receiving the spoils, he gave God a tenth of what he collected. And then he told the king of Sodom to keep all the rest except for whatever his neighbors who fought with him deserved to have as a reward. But for him and his household, he received absolutely nothing because he wanted the whole world to know that he was dependent on God alone and no man and that he knew that God would provide all of his needs. That's amazing faith. That shows so much trust in God and so much belief that he really loves us and really will do good things for us. And when you trust God with all your heart, you don't worry about where your money is coming. You just know he's going to provide. And that's how Abraham was, or Abram. Also, Abram showed great faith when he let Lot, his nephew, take the best part of the land to live in. And then Abram took the least lush area to live in. Again, it was another show of faith that he trusted the Lord to meet all of his needs. And Abram had a massive household. He had probably at least 500 servants plus thousands of cattle including sheep. That's a lot of a lot of people. So most most of us would worry in a case like that that our needs won't be met. But Abram never worried. He always trusted God. He also showed faith when he left Haran and continued traveling to Canaan and made it all the way to Canaan when God told him to. He's a great man of faith and God wants to reward this faith. He's also a direct descendant of Adam and a direct descendant of Noah, and one of his descendants will be Jesus Christ. So this family line is a, is, a, is a family line of blessing and faith, faith on the human's part and blessing coming from God. Verse 2, And Abram said, O Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go hence childless, and he that shall be possessor of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? So Abram didn't have any children, so he said, what could you possibly do for me since I have no children? And what he's telling God is, when I die, I'll be gone, and who's going to get it? So if you, even if you gave me something, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be any good to me because it wouldn't go to my descendants because I don't have any descendants. And he said, Eliezer of Damascus is going to take all of my stuff. He, he'll, he'll inherit, but he's not my son. Three. And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is not to be mine heir. So whenever births are happening in his household, it's always a servant giving birth, not his wife. And so he, he has no heir. So he's basically just telling God, I don't know what you could possibly do for a man who has no heir. Four. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This man shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. Now in the Old Testament, bowels doesn't mean intestines like it does today. It just means from deep within you. So in the Old Testament, when they say that my bowels were moved, they don't mean that they were pooping. They mean that they were crying. 
And when they say a child coming from my bowels, it means a child coming from your seed. So God says, no, this Eliezer isn't going to be your heir. You're going to have your own heir. You are going to have a child. Five, and he brought him forth abroad and said, look now toward the heaven and count the stars, if thou be able to count them. And he said unto him, so shall thy seed be. So basically God is is making an analogy and he it says he brought him forth abroad. So God drew him out to a place where he could look at the stars really well. So maybe to a plane or something. And he said, look at all the stars. If you can count those, then you'll be able to count all of your descendants because your descendants are going to be like that. So many that they can't be counted, which is true. Nobody knows but God how many descendants of Abraham there are today. Six, and he believed in the Lord. Again, he believes in the Lord. See, this is so crucial. This is the most basic element of faith is really, really trusting God. A lot of us, we believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, but we don't really trust God to meet our needs. We don't really trust him. And so we make all these mistakes because we're trying to take care of ourselves. And Abram didn't do this. He always totally believed that would meet every need. Six, and he believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. So this shows us what righteousness is. Righteousness is pure faith. It's really believing. Seven, and he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit. So he's making sure to make it real clear who he is, but I think Abram already knows. But he says, I called you to leave Haran And actually, God had called his father to leave Ur. This is proof right here that God had called his father to leave Ur. But his father stopped in Haran and didn't go all the way to Canaan. Then God spoke to Abram and said, get out of Haran and go all the way to Canaan. That shows you that even from the time of Abraham's father, when his father was alive, God had called that family to Canaan. I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit. 8. And he said, O Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? 9. And he said unto him, Take thee a heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So it's probably like a virgin cow, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Now, a lot of these animals are the same animals that get used for sacrifices. Later, God commands that a lot of these animals be used as sacrifices in Exodus. But what we're going to read about in this chapter is actually not a sacrifice. It's a covenant ceremony. 10. And he took him all these and divided them in the midst and laid each half over against the other. But the birds divided he not. In Exodus, when they use birds for sacrifice. They don't divide the birds then either. And I don't know if it's just because they're so small. I'm not quite sure why the birds never get divided. But these aren't being divided as a sacrifice. Again, this is a covenant. 11. And the birds of prey came down upon the carcasses, and Abram drove them away. So after he cut the animals in half and separated each half, he laid the halves lined up and God has never been into torture or terrorism. So Abraham would have killed the animal first and then cut it and separated it. He wouldn't have cut it alive. 
so he he separated them, which is an ancient practice for doing a covenant. When both parties walk between the broken pieces of the animals, it means that they will never attack each other. And they'll always be friends, basically. There'll be peace between them. So if two kings or leaders walk between the pieces, that means they're like eternally friends. But the fact that the carry-on birds came to eat the carcasses shows you that Abram had to wait for a while for God to show up. So Abram had to spend some time shooing the birds away. 12. And it came to pass that when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, a dread, even a great darkness, fell upon him. So there are verses in the Bible that say that God dwells in darkness. He is light, but he dwells in darkness. I can't explain that. It's a mystery, but that's what the Bible says. So this darkness that God dwells in actually fell, fell on Abram and put him into a deep sleep. A lot of times in the Bible, people will fall on their face in terror before God because he's so holy. We're so filthy compared to God. And that's why you often see people falling down in fear when they see God or angels because they're so unused to that purity, that holiness. It's just, it's overwhelming to a, to a dirty person like you and I who've, who've committed sins and done bad things in the past. To be in front of God is just, it makes you tremble. Well, I think to keep Abraham from being afraid, overly afraid, I think God made him go to sleep. And I think that's what's happening here is so that he wouldn't be frightened to death. God put him to sleep. 13. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. Now this is a prophecy, and he spoke it in Abraham's dream. So Abraham was asleep, but he heard the voice of God at the same time that he was sleeping. And this is a prophecy talking about when, later on you'll read about it in the book of Exodus, that the Israelites were became slaves in Egypt for 400 years. It was because they went there as guests in Egypt, but then the king who received them as guests to live there, he died and a new king came who didn't care about them. And then the new king turned them into slaves and they were slaves for 400 years. So that's what God's talking about. This is a prophecy. Okay, 14. And also that nation whom they shall serve, Egypt, will judge I will judge, and afterwards shall they come out with great substance. Now in the verse it doesn't say Egypt. I threw that in because we know when we read Exodus that it is Egypt. And God says he will judge. Well, that's the plagues that God sent on Egypt. I think it was ten plagues. And afterwards shall they come out with great substance. That also happens in Exodus because before they leave Egypt, God tells them to ask all of their Egyptian neighbors for gold, silver, clothing, whatever the Egyptians are willing to give them as going away gifts. And so they do ask their neighbors and and the Egyptians just basically throw all kinds of wealth at them. It's because the Egyptians are terrified of their God and they don't want to offend their God. They're like, here, take whatever you want. 
So basically when this when the former slaves leave Egypt, they actually leave really, really rich. They spoil the land of Egypt that way. So this is also prophesying that. 15, but thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. So he's saying, you, Abraham, will live a life of peace. You won't be a slave. You won't be going to war. You're going to live a good life. And all of this trauma will happen long after you're buried. 16, and in the fourth generation, they shall come back hither, meaning here, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet full. So God is saying in the fourth generation after they leave Egypt, because they, they were in the desert for 40 years, and if a generation is 10 years, which makes perfect sense, because every generation is 10 years, the fourth generation is the generation that came out of the desert after they left Egypt, and that does make sense that that would be the generation that would fight the Amorite. So yeah, this is very accurate, uh, because 40 years after they left Egypt, they entered Canaan, and they did fight the Amorite. 17. And it came to pass that when the sun went down, and there was thick darkness, behold, a smoking furnace and a flaming torch that passed between these pieces. Now, this is really important, because this is God himself passing between the two pieces, in the form of smoke and fire. God, um, he is performing the covenant, because according to this peace covenant, you have to walk between the pieces, which is exactly what God does. But you'll notice that Abram never walked between the pieces. And that shows you and I that when God makes a covenant, he basically carries it out all on his own. He doesn't expect us to carry it out. He only expects us to love him believe him and obey him. But he doesn't expect us to carry out his covenants. You can see this with Christ on the cross. Jesus Christ not only obeyed the Father and resisted sin, unlike you and I, which is what the church is supposed to do, but he also did what God is supposed to do, which was sacrificing his life, his own life for the church. So he, Jesus fulfilled both ends of the covenant for our salvation. He obeyed the Father, which we never did, and he died for us, which we never could do. So Jesus did both. He does what the church can't has never done, and he, he also does what the Father could only do. Because we should have obeyed Jesus, right? But we didn't. We all sinned. And he, yet he obeyed the Father. So God always fulfills both ends of the covenant. So here you only see God walking through the pieces, but the covenant stands from Abram would come many, many descendants that could never be counted, and the Messiah, the Messiah would come, and God would make it all happen without any help from Abram. Pretty amazing. Now, the other thing about the smoke and the fire, in Exodus, when the Hebrew, when the Israelites are in the desert for 40 years, and even right when they leave Egypt and they're getting ready to cross the Red Sea, they have a pillar of smoke before them in the daytime and a pillar of fire at night. And the reason the fire is at night is so that they can see it. But in the daytime, they can see the smoke and it's God himself. And wherever the smoke or fire stops, they camp out there and they tent there for as long as it stops. And they don't continue until either the smoke or the fire continues. So here you see God as smoke and fire passing through the pieces. So this is the beginning. It's just amazing. God, God is so beautiful. 
he always does things in a way that it'll be perfectly clear what his intention is, who he is, what he's going to do. He makes everything perfectly clear. And you'll also remember that the Israelites passed through the Red Sea. The Red Sea was cut in half. And then they passed through the Red Sea and began their journey to the Promised Land. And they followed the smoke and fire through the Red Sea. This is kind of imagery when the smoke and fire goes through the animal pieces. It's imagery. Um, it's been parted for you. The sea has been parted for you. God has made a way. 18. In that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land, from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. So that's from south to north. 19. The Kenite, the Kenizzite, and the Kadmonite. 20. And the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Rephaim. 21. And the Amorite, and the Canaanite, and the Girgashite, and the Jebusite. And so what God is saying, I'm giving you the land that all these different clans live on. Whenever you see Ait after a name, it's a family clan. So he's saying all these clans live there, but you're going to inherit this land and you're going to take it from them. A lot of people think that God is mean because he sent the Israelites to take the land away from people who are already living there. But there's two reasons why. Number one, those people were all pagan sinners. They were sacrificing their children to gods, pagan gods. They were practicing prostitution, all kinds of evil and hideous things they were having. They were raping animals. Some people call it sex, but you can't have sex with an animal or a child. You can only rape them because the animal or the child has no choice. So they were raping animals, torturing children because they made them walk through fire to their death. They burned them alive. So that's one reason, not only because God was wiping the evil from the land, but also he didn't want the Israelites to become friends with them because then the Israelites would just end up doing the same things, which actually does happen in the Old Testament. Whenever the Israelites fell to wipe out one of these clans, they end up becoming friends with them and doing the exact same things, following the same false gods, sacrificing their children and stuff like that. But also it represents cleansing our own soul and our own body. When we become born again, we repent of our sin and we take over our soul again and we take over our body again. Before we become born again, the demons have control of our soul and our body and the demons pull us around by the nose, right? And they pull us into the bar and they pull us into bad relationships and they pull us into debt and they pull us into chaos, all, all kinds of problems. But when you get born again, Jesus drives the demons out and you take over your land again, yourself. You start becoming yourself. You start owning yourself because the demons aren't there to control you anymore. So that's what this symbolizes as well. And that concludes Genesis chapter 15.